Ah, there we go. There we go. There we go. We up in this. We all up in this. We running this. Fucking the volcano world is one giant. Time. So the world is one big caldera right now. Holy shit. It's like an alt center reign of terror right now. We're just fucking consolidating control, purging political enemies. These are these are good every times. hour. These are magic. Every hour, another fascist gets arrested. It's amazing. <laughs> I know. It turns out we were right about that. The whole fascism thing. They turned out to be pretty fascist. It looks like maybe in history books they'll use the f word for this whole thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, the clusterfuck. Yeah. It. Pennsylvania Avenue. I think you can lock it up. I think you can lock it up. It's kind of inarguable now. When you have a putsch, when you do your, you know, when Trump has his own putsch, right? Is that how you really say it? Is it push? Is it puts? It's probably German sounding, Pooch. right? Pooch. Pooch. Pooch? Wow. Tomato, tomato. The beer, the beer hall putsch. The beer hall putsch. I think putch. it's putsch. I think it's putsch. Putsch. <laughs> That's what they did. Because it was a bunch of Southerners, right? So beer hall put. We're going to have a... America had its beer hall putsch. And we... <laughs> and uh, so put right the there, Viking you know, he thing. acted fascist. He, he acted super fascist for five years, right? He did, you know, he did everything about fascism that's uh about politics right which is 90 percent of it and mm -hmm. then they did a putsch so like if you if you blink those two together it's pretty much a slam dunk case um and i've seen historians who are like hey i i resisted it until now but you know uh, right and uh so that's that's happening we were right about that we were right about a lot of things yeah um we get, I mean, you know, I guess we get credit. We get credit, but also, like, how fucking obvious is it? Like, uh, come on, man. Sometimes. You know what this fucking reminds me of? Do you ever see, like, Shaun of the Dead? Mm hmm. Where there's, like, zombies walking around eating people and everyone's just, like, kind of ignores it? Right, because no way. Yeah, they're, like, obviously it's not. They're, like, well, obviously, you know, major party didn't become fascist. That, that's not right. They couldn't happens. have nominated a fascist. And also, I think people were like, Donald Trump can't be a fascist. Donald Trump's the Home Alone guy. He's the boxing promoter guy, right? He's too ridiculous. Yeah. If a fascist should be like, you know, an impressive person in some way. But that's not what it is. I mean, Hitler was pretty dumb. Mussolini was a largely clownish figure. Mm -hmm. and, and it didn't land for people that, sure. Yes, our fascists could be clownish. Yeah. Right? I mean, uh, Pol Pot uh, had a really goofy cowboy dance that he liked to do all the time. <laughs> and so people just thought, I would like, say, ah, he's harmless. From what I know, Pol Pot was a serious customer. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I like, that, I, that I, met, I remember reading something like 25 years ago. Uh, I can't remember where it was. Uh, some magazine. And it was, it was about a, historian whose you know specialty is fascism right mm -hmm. and he was talking about how he lectured at college right and he showed video of Mussolini mm -hmm. and when he showed video of Mussolini to all these college students everyone laughed yeah because Mussolini looks silly Mussolini like makes silly faces and like struts around yeah like Mussolini on the balcony looks kind of silly Right? Yeah. He looks like someone doing an impression of Mussolini. Right. He puffs up his chest and like looks at the sky and it's like, um, but like that element of fascism, I mean, he, he basically invented it. That was there from the start, this over the top kind of thing that is really effective on dumb people mm -hmm. and also smart nihilists find really compelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like they, they burst into the Capitol, like dressed like Vikings and shit, but I don't know. It's like, it's like LARPing, 
until they actually have the power to do something, in which case they do it. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's like LARPing until they're fucking like gutting you. And then like, oh, it's real. But this kind of silliness came from like right from the start. Like some of the stuff Mussolini did, you look back on it and it's like, how could any person not think this was ridiculous, right? Right. But it worked for what, 20 years? Like he, over 20 years, right? So like it, it worked on them and they were like, oh, they're just like Italians. It won't work on us, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> clearly it did. <laughs> clearly it fucking did. Right. I don't know. I'm not glad we were right about it. No, but there is something kind of good about how unmasked the movement is. It's clarified. It's clarified now. Yeah. They're making it's like this like naked power grab when they don't act it's it's like the beer hall putsch, right? Because it's a mm-hmm. naked power grab when they don't actually have the means to take control. Now Exactly. I guess it didn't really help the Germans out all that much, so Well, we have a lot of mistakes we can learn from there, right? Yeah, like maybe don't elect the guy who tried to take power through violent means. Well, clearly what Germany should have done is hang all of them. Instead of put them in prison. Right, but they should have hanged all of them. Alternatively, they could have put them in prison for life, right? Yeah. Well, it's all fucking... What's his name? Hindenburg or whatever? Who's the fucking... The old H conservative dude. All right. So our, our guest today is uh, Twitter's neoliberal, founder of the Neoliberal Project, and one of uh, the preeminent globes of the internet. Yeah, he's... he's... Uh, are you the most powerful person in globe Twitter? That's, uh, that's debatable. I don't know. I'd have to go see who actually has the globe. Cause I forget who actually puts it in there. But, uh, but yeah, no, uh, we've, uh, we don't understand now. the globe. We don't understand the globe at we all. Have so many questions. Mm-hmm. The globe is for globalism. Uh, and it, we're big globalists, you know, it's, it, it's one of those words that, you know, like, I don't know. Seven or eight years ago, people only used as like some some sort of like weird alt right attack word, like like mm-hmm. the I don't know the quotation mark parentheses globalists, yeah. well, aka the Jews, Jews or whatever. Yeah. Like like the, you know it was something that they would just attack you with, and I thought about it, and I was like, wait, globalism is is fucking awesome. I'll I'll accept that label, you know. It it sounds great. Everyone holding hands around the world. Kumbaya. Yeah. Yeah. I thought my experience of globalism was there were lots of things in the 2016 campaign where Trump would have some snafu, some embarrassing thing would happen to him, and then he'd come out with some new thing that sounded like a real principle. So, like he would he would call Mexicans rapists, and then the the next day he'd do like a speech where he'd talk about draining the swamp. And I felt like globalism was that kind of thing. It was something he didn't even really understand, but Bannon did. And Bannon, like, put it in a speech. Yeah, one of the things we found when when Trump ran was that he doesn't have a lot of ideological views, except for a couple. For most things, he's happy to just do whatever. Like, if it's easy for him, he'll just parrot the Republican Party's, like, talking points. But sometimes if it's easier, then he'll just be like, you know what? Screw that. I want I want huge deficits. I want $2,000 checks, whatever. Right. The, on, the only thing he's consistent about is that he is pretty anti-globalist and that he he hates other countries. He thinks it's like a, a zero-sum game where you have to win and they lose. And, you know, right. Im- immigrants are scary, brown, dangerous people. And, and China is, is – trade with China is bad because – if China's doing good, then by definition, it must hurt us. Like, that's the one thing he's consistent on, right? This is why he failed at business. is because he, he thought every business deal was a matter of winning, right? Zero sum, yeah. He never thought, like, why don't I buy a hotel and then the hotel does well and I pay my creditors, right? So it's a good deal for my creditors and me. Right. 
Or maybe if I don't screw people over, you know, they'll <laughs> trust me and want to invest with me. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, and like Trump has some minimal amount of competence in his core business, which is like real estate in Manhattan or whatever. But the thing is, if you, you know, he was born into a real estate family. That wasn't like him being smart and like deciding that real estate was good. He was born into it. He got a $50 million head start from his father and a bunch of connections. And the thing is, if you had invested in real estate in Manhattan in the 70s, which is like the lowest of the low points of like dangerous, filthy New York, crime-ridden, horrible New York, and you decided, hey, I'm going to buy up a bunch of like midtown properties and see how they do, anybody would have made a billion dollars at that. Like real estate in New York is now like... I don't I don't even have a great analogy to describe how valuable it is. It, you know, it wasn't some incredible business acumen that he had. It was he, he bought a bunch of properties in the 70s and now they're worth like a billion dollars or whatever. <sighs> well, it's a bit it's been a big week for him. <laughs> it's been a big week for the world, I think. When, when we uh, when we agreed to do when we like talked about doing this a couple weeks ago, I don't think we realized what we would be talking about. <laughs> yeah, I definitely didn't think they'd get in the Capitol. Uh, <laughs> so like, what Sam, was your, what was your guys's like level of like like emotion watching that? Like straight up like raw reaction. I felt a great deal of excitement. Yeah. Um, about, what was uh, happening? I was, I was maybe a little, a little giddy. Very quickly in the process, we knew that all the Congress people and senators were safe, and once we knew that, it became this very exciting uh, revelation of what Trumpism is, yeah, and an embarrassment for Trumpism. But I didn't take it as seriously as I took it after, you know, getting all the all the facts, all the details. Sure, you know. Seeing that guy with zip ties and shit in tactical gear. Well, no, I understood those were the stakes from the start. It's just I didn't once I knew that all the senators and Congress people were safe, which was which was a little overstated how safe they were. Right. Yeah, well, like the, the lady who got shot, the one lady who got shot, the guy that shot her, the security officer was shooting because there were, I think, still Congress people behind him. Right. Um. But but we didn't know that at the time. We just we saw that video, but we didn't really know that people were behind him. Well, the video. I mean, that shit came out a little later, right? Like I was actually just watching the fucking, uh, uh, you know, the Senate, and then they start ushering Mike Pence out. They got him out of there right away. The Secret Service came in. While I was watching, um, I was uh, for the most part, I was hooting and hollering. I was Joker laughing. Uh, pretty much the whole time. And then I started, well, something, and then something in the back of my head's like, where's a AOC? Where's oh, AOC? Shit. AOC hasn't tweeted in a while. And then it was like two, it was like 4 p.m. AOC hasn't tweeted. Everyone's coming in and saying, everyone is coming in and saying, I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe. I guess she didn't have her phone. We didn't uh, get a tweet from AOC until late in the evening. And then, of course, when she did tweet, I'm okay, all the degenerate, evil leftoids started retweeting it and saying, oh, yeah, honey, make it all about you. And even some liberals, oh, I believe. The whole post-left treatment of AOC today is shocking, right? Like, they're, they're basically calling her a lib because she doesn't like uh, the Trump putsch, right? She doesn't like fascists invading her workplace, so she's a lib. Well, I mean, that's been happening since uh, Jimmy Dore. Uh, right. It has decided to go after her and make, make his name by, like, screeching at her 24-7. Like, this is, this is inevitably what happens, is um, anybody who doesn't do everything you want is, is a filthy neoliberal. I mean, it's funny. That's kind of how we got the, how we got the label, and the origin of that is that there's a like people who liked Hillary Clinton in 2016, you know, getting called a neoliberal by both Trump supporters and Bernie supporters and and eventually just kind of taking that label and running with it. And, and this is what happens, you know, like I, I disagree with AOC on a number of things, but like in like the normal political way, not in the like, I'm going to call you an evil bitch because you didn't get hung up to dry in Congress or so like, <laughs> right. there's people, like there's some insanity going on there. I don't know. And like. 
you know, now she's like pro cop because she because she doesn't want to get murdered. <laughs> right. Like She doesn't like uh, a bunch of fascists taking over the capital. So she's pro cop. There's lots of that now. Like we're not supposed to feel good about fascists getting arrested, you know, Um you know, communist countries have cops. You know, uh, every every country in the world has cops. Being left wing doesn't necessitate believing that fascists should go free. That's anarchism. Which oh, it's always know, been a current in left wing thinking, though. That no one should get arrested. Anarchy has always been. There's always been like an anarchist wing. You know, that's like ah. And then there's the people who think you should just live on farms and shit. I get, I guess that's true. And I, I think the whole abolish the police thing is fundamentally an anarchist philosophy. Totally. Because an anarchist, what they do is they say, hey, there's this thing that has problems. Let's just not do the thing. That's basically what anarchism is, you know? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if, if you ever ask an anarchist to describe in any detail how society would work, they end up rebuilding police forces with like really complicated language about how they're not actually police forces and these really like community enforcement boards with I, 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 I don't know like they always end up rebuilding the state <laughs> i imagine a thunderdome fury road scenario where where like everything is just a matter of how strong you are and how good your vehicle is you know <laughs> That'd be funny if you're an anarchist, but that's like what you wanted. You're like, no, like Mad Max slaps. Like <laughs> we need like warring gangs and life will have excitement again. Well, I mean, Thunderdome would not be that bad in a world with like uh, significant resources. It's the resource dependency that really makes uh, the Mad Max world difficult. The thing that anarchists are always going to fail on is that some degree of order and structure and hierarchy is necessary for society. And like, I, I'm not trying to sit here and be some kind of like Burkean conservative or something and like take us back to the monarchial kind of like 1700s or whatever. But like, you can't run a society of like millions of people with no hierarchy. Like it's like you can't have one level of hierarchy with all one million people sitting on the same level and having It'd the same exciting. Input. Like, like anarchy it's just, would be pretty exciting. Yeah, it'd be exciting, but <laughs> you know, that's just that's not tethered to reality. Mm. Well, I think back to that golden first week of the Chaz. We had two Chazes. <laughs> we had we had two Capitol Hill autonomous zones this year, or this past year. Wasn't it one in Portland and one in <laughs> Seattle or something like that? No, we had one in DC. Oh, God. <laughs> we had a fascist one and we had an anarchist one. And you can compare and contrast how they went. There was some talk. I've heard that there was some talk. There was some talk inside the complex of like, are we spending the night? Right. In the Chaz? No, in Capitol Hill this past week. There was some discussion like, are we going to stay all night? You know? It's really interesting the degree to which there were no real plans amongst the people doing it. Like, I'm sure there were a couple people who had plans and who were, like, trying to herd people into doing stuff. But most of the people there were just like, we got in here. Let's let's wander around. Let's take a they tour. They were totally perplexed about how um, the floor plan of Capitol Hill, like, no, they couldn't find anyone and that was it. It can be no. pretty confusing. It's it's a little bit of a labyrinth in there. And I don't know, like there's that one lady who got maced and, and there's a recording of her. She's talking to a reporter and she was like, I walked in and they maced me and like they're just trying to. And she was like, what what, what were you doing there, ma'am? What, what was your intention when you went inside? It's supposed to be a revolution. <laughs> and like <laughs> there's just there's no plan. It it really strikes me like how. It's really just like aesthetics and like weird cultural grievance all the way to the bottom. Like there's nothing there. So you're mad. You want to stop the vote. You go there and it turns out you stop the vote, but also no one's there. There's no hostages to take. There's mm. no Democrats to confront. Right. There's just empty offices. And I don't think they could, you know, they, there was no plan if that happens. Yeah. If everyone's just gone. 
There's an interesting book that actually really, I, I feel like, predicted this um, and has predicted a lot of shit. Um, Martin Gurry is like a former CIA analyst um, from like the 80s and 90s, wrote a book called Revolt of the Public. And basically the thesis is that because information systems have changed so fast and the way information works now, people are really, really dissatisfied with the government everywhere. Like just dissatisfaction with the elite section of society is going up. This is true in Israel, in France, in Japan, in the US, in Europe. Um, and the downside to that is people are really, really dissatisfied, but they don't have an alternative. They, they don't have concrete ideas for how to fix anything. They just have rage against the current status quo. And like, this is what, this is what you see when you see like people invading the Capitol because they're so damn angry at everything and they get there and they succeed and they don't know what I to do. Why are they so angry though? Like what is like, how does this is because of so, technology or? Yeah. So basically the thesis is in the before times, and I'm going to use like say the 1960s as an example, but you can go back through lots of history. Elites were able to control the narrative to a really stunning degree. You would you would be shocked as a modern person how much the narrative was completely controlled by a tiny amount of elites. And the example, one of the best examples of this is like the Bay of Pigs with JFK, is one of the most stunning presidential failures of the last hundred years, probably. Absolutely mismanaged. Hold on one second. Sorry, I'm in Midtown Manhattan, and there's like. There's a giant protest actually walking by me right now. So anyway, JFK has this massive failure for the Bay of Pigs, and the media covered it like this. Basically, all the major newspapers said, oh, man, this didn't work. But you know what? JFK is going to learn from this, and he's going <laughs> to become a stronger president. That was literally the line was JFK is going to learn from this, and it's going to help him in the end. And like, can you imagine the president of the United States today staging a failed invasion of another country, getting humiliated and the media just like, oh, it's great that he did this and he's going to be fine. Like today you can't, what, what's happened is that information technology has made it impossible to control the narrative. There's always going to be competing narratives and you can't control it. And so people like are going to be more dissatisfied because they're going to hear competing narratives and elites can't control. Like, elites have always failed to live up to their promises. That has been true for as long as there's been politics. Elites can't deliver on all promises. But they used to be able to paper over it and kind of cover it up. And now they can't. And that, that, that like link between what we promised and what's actually getting delivered is way more apparent then like that gap is more apparent than it ever has been in history. I do think though that I disagree with the idea that what happened was purely an expression of emotion because I do think what they did is fairly logical. Legally, Joe Biden is not president until they certify and they knew that and they knew that Mike Pence had betrayed them and was not going to come up with some crazy parliamentary trick to prevent the certification. So they stormed the Capitol and they prevented it from happening. So from their perspective, it was a success. Um, they just did not get another domino to fall. Like Trump didn't help them. Trump didn't support them. He didn't like order the military in. Congress just came back and voted, right? But from their perspective, they did what was asked of them, and it made sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the individual chain holds up in terms of if you truly believe that, like, the election was stolen, if, that, if you believe that deep in your gut, then it makes sense to, like, be, re you know, be really angry about it and to go try to do something to stop it. Right. But for, from a 10,000-foot view, the entire stolen election narrative is kind of a, a just right, a you white have to hot believe, rage narrative. You have to believe something insane, right? You have to yeah. believe that, uh, you know, Dominion. Uh, you have to believe that, like, the CIA in Europe has the real election data. That's my favorite theory, is that the real election data, like, went over there and they have it on a server somewhere. So if we went over to Germany, we could find 
the actual election results, which there's like 500 electoral votes for Trump. (laughs) But yeah, no. And I mean, like, think about why this is happening, why these beliefs pop up. It's because for years and years, especially on the conservative side, it's it, it happens in many different ideological spaces, but it is way, way worse on the conservative side that no one trusts elite narratives anymore. If you are the the pre the premier talking head at CNN or C- MSNBC mm-hmm. or the New York Times or NPR, you know there used to be three channels, and that was the news, like capital T, capital N, the news. And now, if you don't like what you're hearing in the news, you just go to different news, and they'll tell you something that you like. You know the 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 credibility of that kind of institutional news is like shot. It's amazing how being skeptical of official sources makes you so gullible. What I think is crazy like about they, these they people, don't believe the news, but they'll believe anyone who tells them yes. that there's a conspiracy and blah blah blah. And then they're like, oh well, yeah. As long as well, you're it's saying it's not just that, that it, we you see this across the political spectrum where people think that like uh, supreme like conspiracy theories are something which is which are anti-establishment like conspiracy th- theories are something that the elites don't want you to know about whereas in general elites want you to believe conspiracy theories they just want you to believe the ones that are profitable for them i mean the 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 most animating factor in modern politics and and joe biden is a little bit of a counter to this mostly because of how bad Trump is. But despite Joe Biden, I think the most important factor in modern politics on both sides is a credible ability to be against the status quo. You know, you saw this with Bernie Sanders, you saw it with Donald Trump. The more credibly you can say, I'm not responsible for this shit that we're in, and I am going to shake things up and be different and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like that is. That is remarkably powerful in modern politics. And for people who are young, like, I don't think we appreciate how much that didn't used to be the case. Like, go watch, go watch a debate in the 80s between, like, George H.W. Bush and Ronald Reagan when they were running against each other for president. And they were, like, they were boring as hell. And Reagan was still, like, a... Reagan was actually an, quote-unquote, insurgent candidate. And compared to today, he's still boring as hell. Wouldn't you say that Barack Obama's 2008 campaign was definitely an anti-status quo campaign? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's uh. That was change. one of the starts of it. Yeah. Hope, ch- hope and change. Hope you change. Now, going thing. back to revolt of the public and this Martin Geary guy, is he saying? And perhaps are you also asserting that uh, that in like the 1840s and 50s, the elites had a strong control on the messaging, and there was no competing narratives? It was harder to get competing narratives out. And and the further back you go, the the harder the analogy gets because media was so different and like literacy wasn't even universal. And so like the further back you go, it's harder to um harder to really make the analogy work. But yeah, in general, it is easier today to provide alternative narratives uh, as far as what's going on in society. It's easier than it's ever been before. You know, back in the day, you might have to print a pamphlet and like find some literal pamphlet printer that would publish your shit. And and you'd hope that the government wouldn't come in with like policemen and set the building on fire because that was a thing that happened. You know, if they'd radical publications would literally have their publication houses burned down and you'd have to like there were literal physical resources and money involved in distribution. And you'd be risking arrest if people didn't like your propaganda and now you can just start a podcast, start a blog spot, go on, go on Twitter or Parler or whatever, and and just the amplification of voices is easier than it's ever been. Yeah. So right. like the, the centralization of media control, you know, maybe it 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 hasn't always been like it probably peaked with like radio and TV, right? Because then you have mass communications, but very few people who can broadcast. Well, I feel like, you know. Back in the 60s, that's when they started the newsletters, right? That's when newsletters started heating up. Like Phyllis Schlafly and yeah. those people who wanted to, they, yeah. those people who wanted Kennedy assassinated. I mean, and that's that's a tradition that goes back hundreds of years. Like that's all the way back to like you could 
very feasibly take that all the way back to like the Republic of Letters in the Enlightenment, where a bunch of intellectuals in Europe are all writing letters back and forth to each other. And it's like this pseudo network of like, like imagine the internet, but only like every email took three weeks to get to you. But like that turned into like the pamphlet houses and like think about the American Revolution. Everybody's printing pamphlets and Federalist right. papers and and that turns into the 1900s, the Phyllis Schlafly newsletter stuff. And, you know, right. yeah. And it's always the reactionaries who want that shit. Well, I mean, it's useful to everyone. But the thing is that it enables the, the easier communication is, especially permissionless communication, just the less control elite sectors of society are going to have. Right. Now, Jeremiah, um, between uh, Ilhan Omar and AOC, who do you hate more? <laughs> or perhaps, or perhaps <laughs> as a, well, go ahead. Can this be a question I, I for the group? I feel, uh, no, go, it's go no, no, okay, no, no, no. I mean, f feel free to weigh in. Okay. I like, I probably like AOC a little better than I would like Ilhan Omar. And I'm trying to be careful here because like, I disagree with um, these, these people on policy but like, I also consider like policy is secondary to like preserving our actual institutions. I will gladly ally with them against the Republicans because like democracy matters more than tax rates or whatever the hell, you know, like, like, like I have my priorities in order. With that said, Ilan Omar is probably worse um, in terms of just, she feels a little more reactionary in the sense of just like, an own the libs kind of style. And there's also the weird ethical thing where she um, like broke up her uh, campaign manager's like marriage and then married him. Like You're she's concerned kind of a... about ethical violations? <laughs> right. Not really. It's just funny. It's a little bit, her, her campaign manager's a little bit of a grifter. So there's that. Oh. I don't know. Well, it's important to hire good people. Do you hate uh, Ilhan more because she's a Muslim or because she's an anti-Semite? <laughs> I, I really hate her because she's a minnesotan and Minis people from minnesota are disgusting okay keep dodging keep making jokes but i'm asking you between those two which one is it <laughs> wait aren't those the same uh, what, what, no mean... no they aren't what that's uh, real funny john that's really funny <laughs> oh i guess you could be arab right and then you wouldn't be an anti-semite <laughs> okay fair enough good point good point to me, AOC is like the kid in the in the team sports movie who's like a hotshot but plays by her own rules. And the coach has to like bring her under his wing to be like, you know, if you actually applied yourself, you'd be really amazing. I like AOC because she's a go-getter. She's more of a go-getter than Ilan. I like Ilan more because she wilds out more often, right? <laughs> She's more unpredictable, which to me feels more authentic at times. Um, I feel like AOC is more concerned about offending people than Ilan is, right? I would say that AOC is probably a little smarter in that, like, I've seen her do... Like, She's more like polished, both, for sure. Both, yeah, polished. And But in terms of, like, they both obviously love to dunk on the conservatives. This is part... This is the, how you play the game. But I've seen, like... Some of the dunks from AOC are like low quality, just like I can dunk on a conservative who said a dumb thing. But some of them, sometimes they're actually like grounded, like she'll cite research papers or she'll like have a, a more advanced argument. Ilan Omar seems more like very basic, like I'm just going to quote Ted Cruz and like be like, you know, I, I don't know, like check your privilege, Ted Cruz or something. I feel very like low quality stuff. Ilan more authentically hates Republicans. Um, because <laughs> they've so. directly threatened her life more. And I think that gets to her. I, I, I thought Ilan was more gleeful about Trump losing, which really won me over. Like Ilan was very happy that Trump lost. Um, yeah, I think AOC has a little bit more of that politician's instinct to be like dignified sometimes. Uh -huh. Like you, you, there's a, there's a politician's instinct where they want to be like, how dare you, sir, have disrespected the honor of your office and like AOC has that, not a ton, but certain like Omar is more likely to be just like, you know, fuck off. Whereas AOC is more likely to be like the you've disrespected the office. Sam, Sam, who is your favorite neolib? Like a, a person holding office right now or a commentator? Yeah. Uh, Kirsten Cinema. Oh, is she neolib per se? 
I don't know. Anyone, everyone's neolib. Everyone is, right? Everyone in Congress is neolib? If you're defining, (laughs) you know, Democrats who are reasonably moderate and not socialist, then if that's what a neoliberal is, then cinema counts. I think everyone's been called a neolib, so... I feel like everyone is a neolib. I don't like how cinema is. She's not authentically neolib. Um, she's a you know she's a shark and she figured out a way to get elected, right? But in her heart of hearts, she's a lefty. All right, I gotta say Kamala then. It's Kamala. Oh really, Kamala? Sorry, it's remember because she's, she's a lawyer, so it's like comma law. Kamala. She hypnotizes you. She hypnotizes you. It's funny. I I wouldn't. I don't think Kamala's much of a neolib. I think she's oh. pretty pretty socked him. I don't know. Give me she a list. Like, I don't know, like John Hickenlooper, Michael Bennett, Jared Polis, Hillary oh, Jared Clinton. Polis. Jared Polis. Easily Jared Polis. Jared Polis is hot right now. People are getting excited about Jared Polis. Oh yeah. Jared Polis is like the picture perfect neoliberal, and it's like like what if you had like. Like a gay CEO who's worth like $400 million who like takes over a state and then does like a ton of like socially liberal stuff and like weird, weird niche things like zoning reforms and like transportation reforms. He does a lot like, of shit like that. Yes. Yeah. He's oh, yeah. Great. You guys are super into zoning, right? Isn't that big in Globe Twitter? Oh, God. If I could, uh, if I could do one thing to the country, it would probably be uh, either either changing the immigration rules or like nuking all zoning rules. <laughs> Maybe well, not a, all, but most. Here's what I have to say. I have to say this about Globe Twitter and uh, Transit Twitter and uh, Election Map Twitter. Like, uh, they're paying more attention to policy and coming up with things that are, like, obviously good than left Twitter or, you know, wine mom Twitter or you know, Pod Bro Twitter. Can, can we put? Can we pour one out for all the wine moms and well, all the reply I mean, guys? No, because they because Trump has been banned from Twitter, and these people have no place to live now that they can't live in his replies. I think this like, is. I think this is great for them. You know, <laughs> it like um, people are acting. People. Someone on Twitter was like, uh, "You're gonna be real. You're gonna wish that Donald Trump won, because you're gonna have to defend all of." Biden's neoliberal shit, you know? And like, first of all, I don't have to defend all of Biden's neoliberal shit. I can, I can say Biden sucks. I can say he's a failure, you know, whatever happens, I can say whatever I want. Um, I'm always going to be happy that Trump lost. All the authentic wine moms are going to be happy for years that Trump lost. This is going to be so great for them. In five months, when cases drop, they're going to go to brunch. They're finally going to get to go to brunch. Yeah, I think one of the things that people on the internet underrate and, and legitimately don't understand, because we're all like hyper online people here, right? We follow this political shit way too closely. We don't appreciate the extent to which normal people do not care about politics. They don't follow it. They don't listen to it. They're not aware of the things that are happening mm-hmm. like that, that I just want to grill thing is real, like in, in the general population. And a lot of people don't want like the primary anger with Trump sometimes among normies is I don't want to have to think about you, but you keep inserting your face exactly. and doing dumb shit. Exactly. And they just they they want someone honestly like Joe Biden. I think his boringness is one of his greatest qualities. They're just going to watch like they're just going to watch Bored Panda, right? They're going to, you know, Upworthy's probably going to come back and that's how they're going to spend their time online. And they're going to be happier that way. They're no one. No one has enjoyed. I mean, the Trump reply guys, I don't know what their pathology is, but for most people who hate him and tweet all the time, um, this is going to be great. We'll just tweet about like um, the next iPhone and shit like that. That's how Twitter used to be. Right. We'll just go back to that. Weird Twitter is dead, I guess. Like, weird Twitter could never go back and will get bogged down in, like, policy details of, um, you know, like, the stimulus and whatnot. But for normal people who have jobs, uh, they'll just go back to using Twitter to have fun and relax. And, I mean, you have to remember 20% of the U.S. is on Twitter as opposed to, like, 80% on Facebook, 85% or whatever who use YouTube 
Like Twitter is a niche platform in and of itself compared to some of these other platforms. Right. Yeah. And then the people who actually post on Twitter are even smaller. I mean, I think Sarah Cooper's career is probably, you know, in trouble, right? This is probably bad for her career. Um, <laughs> Funny she just started doing it with Biden. <laughs> I mean, I don't think she's like well, he's the new guy, so I, I just do this with every president. She's got to branch out from lip syncing, right? Is Biden even going to give her enough material to work with? Like, Biden's not going to get in front of the cameras that often. The whole the whole knock against him was he's in his basement hiding. He's not doing anything. He's not going to generate content, you know. Honestly, I think it'll be good for comedy because I think Trump killed political comedy just completely dead. Like, yeah. there's no way to satirize Trump more effectively. Like, you can't make him look more ridiculous than he already Imagine does. Imagine how not- unfathomable SNL will be in 20 years. Like, the past four years of SNL will be incomprehensible. Like, the granular attention to every Trump event each week. Like, we will remember them because we're fucked up. But, like, normal people are not going to remember this shit. The amount of things that happened that SNL made a sketch out of. <laughs> Can you right. imagine like just watching back episodes of SNL and like you get the like the hallelujah opener after Trump won? <laughs> right. Well, I, rem- I remember growing up. I remember growing oh. up and I would see SNL reruns, right, of the Reagan years. Yeah. And they were they were they would occasionally be kind of opaque, but they would more or less make sense. Right. There would just be like a sketch about Reagan being an old fart. Right. Yeah. But there wouldn't be like like. Uh, I'm sure they had like Scaramucci. That's going to be incomprehensible. Why was Scaramucci on what TV? What the hell is a Scaramucci, mom? Right, right. <laughs> or like, um, you know, like there are four different press secretaries. Like press secretaries are like characters on SNL. That's bizarre. No, right? I'm From I've, now. I've been rewatching the uh, '90s ones and the Clinton saga. There's some characters there that I I don't know. Like Tim Meadows plays this. Um, I he's he's like a He's like, I, he was some kind of lawyer or advisor to Clinton in like 98 or 99. Van Jones? No, not Van Jones. No. What was his name? I don't know. I'm like, because I'm like, wait, who is that? Who's that? Who's Clinton that guy? had this best buddy, had this best yeah. buddy who was like super involved in the Lewinsky thing. Yeah. Maybe that's when it started. Maybe when that, that's when that granularity started. Yeah. And I don't know. Um, oh, Vernon Jones. Vernon Jones. Right. And like, uh, yeah. So he was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably true is when that sort of thing started. But I mean the Lewinsky's thing, you have to you have to get every angle of the Lewinsky thing. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to begrudge them that. Like John John Goodman playing Linda Tripp. That's good right? stuff. Like, oh my god. Do you know who do you know who Vernon Jones endorsed in 2020? Who? Donald Trump. No. In April 2020, Jones announced his endorsement of President Donald Trump for re-election and spoke at the Republican National Convention on his behalf. Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. We get to have, we'll have conventions again. That'll be great. <laughs> One thing I like yeah. about Biden, too, is because of, because of his advanced age, he doesn't overstay his welcome, right? So, like, the speeches are, like, eight minutes long, whereas... Trump made us watch these speeches where it's like this the dark journey into his soul for an hour. <laughs> right? Like Well, that's that's what he always loved. Like he loved the trappings of the presidency far more than he actually wanted to do the job of being president, right? He loved signing things and being in front of the camera and giving speeches at rallies, but like there's all these stories that come out where like you know, you have to keep meet, like meetings with him to like 15 minutes because he can't pay attention any longer. You can't give him a sheet of paper, like more than one sheet but of paper at a time. But because if you he let won't... him talk, and I relate to this yeah. a lot, is that if you just let him talk, <laughs> he will talk as long as possible, right? Um, and he could talk about like, you know, the 10-minute monologue about going down the ramp. You know, that's like... <laughs> it's like Lenny Bruce or something. Like improv My favorite comedy. thing... My favorite thing ever, and this is exactly what you're talking about, is just his discursive style. There's a single example of it that I think um, works really well and that will be literally studied by historians and and whatever, like communications exports for decades. It's that thing where he like 
goes on some tangent about like how his uncle worked at MIT and he has like <laughs> right. he was big he knew about the nuclear and he told me the nuclear was very strong and very good and I learned to respect nuclear and we've got good grades don't we folks and I went to Penn but they don't tell you that and I and it's just this this word salad like you, you if you read the words on paper in order you like you think it's like a really bad AI tried to make a speech and just People will literally study that for decades. Like, whereas I'm Biden, Biden is more like a, um, like this raw emotions, right? Like he's guided by his emotions that he feels in the moment, and he doesn't do it often, right? Like he did not do it at all in the campaign. Um, it, it was you only see this in like corn pop moments, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're like, like dog faced pony soldier, like kind of those moments. those sorts of like. <laughs> unfiltered moments that aren't speeches right um where he like is is saying these things that are truly raw like his true emotions in the moment like you know his golden blonde hair in the swimming pool and kids running their hands <laughs> through it that's one of my favorite things man that that he told this story about a guy named corn pop and everybody like mocked him for 24 hours and then it came out that corn pop was a real dude with a criminal rap and Biden actually did know him personally. Like, which is like, <laughs> which is like the raw shit. Like it's like a Terrence Malick film, right? It's like, <laughs> like these true raw experiences that he feels so deeply. Um, but yeah, well, with Trump, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's an institutionalist. He's also just an 80 year old dude, basically. Like he's an institutionalist who believes in the institutions of America. Like he he's big into like the Senate is a different body. We have to respect its rules. But also, like, if you challenge him, he's just this old dude. And, like, if you, like, yell at him, he's going to be like, hey, fat, shut up. You know, and just, <laughs> like, he had these moments where, like, and the thing is, like, I feel like people connect to that. Like, again, people want to see that you're not just a robot. And, like, even if it's something where you're yelling at a guy yelling at you and, and the press gives you their tisk tisk, like, people kind of like that. Yeah, totally. Authenticity. Sam, do you want to do the Hollywood Minute? Uh, yeah, but also before we uh, go off, I um, it's it's Vernon Jordan, not Vernon Jones. Uh, Ver and I, okay. another episode where I look like an idiot because of something. Because 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 there's Vernon Jones, there's there's Van there's Jones. Vernon Jordan, there's Van Jones, and who's the Republican who like the the Democrat who just became a Republican who's also a black guy? Vernon Jones. Vernon Jones, yes. So there's Van Jones, Vernon Jordan, and Vernon Jones. Yep. All right. And there's no Van Jordan. We need a Van Jordan. I am calling for a complete and utter shutdown of people named Vernon until we can figure this out. <laughs> right. <laughs> figure so, out what the hell is going on. That's the line. Sam, give us the Hollywood Minute. All right. So. Um, <clears throat> I'm still. Uh, okay. So. Yeah, I was thinking about Wonder Woman 1984, and in Grady Chat, someone brought up the issue of Israel, and it really got real. It got so much worse from there. And then someone brought up uh, Abby Shapiro's uh, posting this picture of a knife with the Star of David emblazoned on it, and so I said something. I, I said something like that is so gross and disgusting to me, and I said that because. I would also find a knife emblazoned with like a cross disgusting and gross to me, but that it was taken completely the wrong well, way. And so now well, Grady, it's a violent ho object. Sam's Hollywood minute, Sam's Hollywood minute. And so now it's complete. <laughs> it was. And so Wait, you're saying that you're saying that to rant about this. discussion, d discussion on Israel on the internet turned wrong. You're telling me that I thought it would. I'm shocked. I thought, I thought the confines of Grady chat would allow a certain, a certain leeway in what we're allowed to do or not discuss. And, and once again, it turned, it turned into uh, a, a pretty bad situation and no pun intended, there was an exodus. And, and, and then, and then my, 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 my chat got taken over uh, with some, uh, some bad, bad hombres. And I'm like, all right, forget this. And I left the chat and started a new chat. So that was Sam's Hollywood minute. Back to you, Matt. All right, right. That was great. I don't know. Well, uh, another month. I, another I'm just gonna be honest. Chat. Israel, Israel and Palestine is one of those things I never tweet about because number one, I'm just not as educated on the subject. I literally don't know, and I don't feel like I know enough detail to actually have smart opinions on it. 
But number two, it's one of the subjects where you can't offer an opinion of any kind without being like eaten alive by a horde of angry people. Like, it, I just don't think it's possible. Well, you know, that's why in American politics, it's something that's never discussed, right? Um, <laughs> right. Like it's it's a it's a third rail where you're just supposed to support Israel. Right. You know, I try to bridge the gap. All those motherfuckers crazy, man. All they're both fucking crazy. This, is, fucking this is some this I, is some great both sides ism. I think John. Israel I think Israel is a <laughs> land of contrasts. Term, if you look at Israel, the thing I always try to stress to people is that it sounds like an economist headline, by the way. Israel is a land of contrasts. <laughs> sure. I mean economists would do that. But like Israel, if you look at it, um all, every issue in Israel, if you poll it, is kind of a 50-50 split, right? Like Jews in Israel are not all you know, hardcore Zionists, a lot of them are like, hey, you know, actually, this is kind of fucked up what we're doing. But they they can't get rid of Bibi, right? They can't get rid of uh, Likud, right? So they, you know, they're stuck with the status quo, which is, you know, increasing settlements until if they... You pull, if you pull pal Palestinians... If you pull I mean... Palestinians and you ask them, do we need a two-state solution, Right. That's 50 50. Um, like Palestinians also aren't. Is it uh, bad? Just move on. Just move on. I feel like. I'm uh, just saying human beings are complicated. Is the, the issue is not. The issue is not. Ago. You know, any country, you should never look at it as all these people in these country, this country are bad because they're doing something I don't like. That's not how it goes. Um, yeah, you should go county by county critical for that. Of, the, of the government. Like Israel, like so or Russia, like Russia, like people hate Russia. Russia's like complicated. You know? They have a bad leader, but the actual human beings there are complicated and they have a, you know, a political dynamic where democracy hasn't really allowed them to represent the will of the people at all. Yeah, but 280 characters, man. How am I supposed to get my hot takes? All right. Well, do we need to cover anything else? I think it was a good episode. I think it was a good. Where is episode. Trump going to be putting stuff now that he's uh now that he's kicked off of every platform? Is he going to be uh like going door to door to yell about like election fraud? I think he has to figure out a way to post. I don't think he can stop. He's uh, going to be on GameFAQs. I I think, <laughs> I think I think he will. I think he's going to join Parler. Um, you know, Parl I think he's going to be in IRC channels, Parler, you know, just like Parler's been banned message from message bots. <laughs> Parler's been banned from phones, but the web service is still there. Right. You know what? Okay. I fucking got it. He's going to start his own social media platform. He's going to, and it's going to be like one of his casinos. He's going to recruit investors and then he's just going to cash out and the thing's going to crash. I guarantee you what he should do is a coin, Trump coin, <laughs> um, bit Trump. Like a Trump coin would do Trump gangbusters crypto? business, right? Oh, yeah. Trump. Oh because my God. Because his followers will trust him and he can just, I, I guarantee, mm. like, I don't know if he's smart enough to realize it, but like the it's money a fun, he would like, make. Evil scientist. It's a fun evil scientist, like point, like thought experiment. If you had that kind of cult-like following that he did, what's the best way to monetize just it? Just be, like, be the Satoshi of it. So give himself like a thousand coins to start. And then, you know, whatever happens, he'll always have 30% of the coins. Like Satoshi yeah, does. Diabolical, man. Absolutely diabolical. It is kind of crazy that we still don't know who Satoshi is, right? The Bitcoin guy? Like, like how yeah. fucking rich is that guy now? <laughs> it's pretty wild, man. Like, they're does like, he have... They're like 40K now? Yeah, and that, how many coins does he have? I don't know. Does anybody know that? Or I think 30% of all Bitcoins are Satoshi. Well, no, because I've I've heard that um, like China and Chinese actors are actually pretty close to have, being like half the market. Like, there's a couple big holders in China. Huh. Well, we know. That, I, I mean, I'm hearing that secondhand. We I don't know, know those if that's true. the Winklevosses have a bunch, but like at a certain point, Satoshi is richer than Musk, right? And we just don't count him because because we assume he's not a real person or something. Yeah, but I most mean, likely rich, he is. Rich at that level is is interesting because like if you hold thirty percent of all bitcoins, you also can't sell them, 
right at, the, at that uh, valuation yeah. if he's if he but sold true them, with they would Amazon crash. stock too right yeah that's right and we don't true. think about it that yeah. way so, so yeah it's, it well it's a problem for both but it means you're comparing like one it's not a fake number but it's artificial in a sense and you're comparing two artificial numbers um so to speak yeah he still has shit tons of money though and we don't talk about I, it one of my favorite people honestly in the world uh, right now is mckenzie scott who is giving away half of amazon um as we speak she's you down to 42 billion or something yeah, yeah so she did if anyone's not aware that's uh bezos's ex-wife who basically got basically got a full 50 percent in the divorce okay and has given away like in the last few months has given away she's given away like four billion dollars in the past few months satoshi has one million bitcoins so he's <laughs> worth he's worth 40 billion damn that's crazy and how this is a good time to sell, man. I mean, how, how many years until Bitcoin's worthless? You think it's going to end up worthless? Yes. I think it's very much driven by Trump, and the Trump era is what has driven the price up. I think lots of people are buying it right now because they think the world is ending and like uh, fiat currency is dead because Biden is going to institute communism and stuff. Dude, um, it's weird that this is. It, it's weird that it's happening now because. People are afraid of like inflation, fiat money is going to be worthless, blah, blah, blah. But like we're in a low inflation era where like inflation is not cracked 2% for like more than a decade. John, you think you think Bitcoin's going to crash? Yeah. yeah. Why? I would say next 10 years because there's no it's not it's not the currency of the future. Like you think that's doggy all, coin? <laughs> maybe Dogecoin. Even if we even if we decide Dogecoin. to use crypto. It won't be Bitcoin. Bitcoin but... has some features. Bitcoin has some features, some technical features that are really bad for a currency to have. Like it is inherently deflationary because it's going to have a fixed final amount. And like deflationary currencies always collapse. They are they lead to political instability and literal revolutions. Like deflation, as bad as inflation can be, deflation is like a revolutionary, like hold your shit together kind of thing. And Bitcoin is inherently deflationary. And aren't there's there's some problems with the algorithm as well? Like it's not efficient enough to actually support, you know, massive I just wanted to get to a point where Satoshi is the world's wealthiest person. You know, business. Elon week. Musk just passed just passed Bezos, Elon, right? Elon's number one. What? Crazy. You didn't know that? Yeah, Tesla Tesla's uh, valuation is bigger than the entire car industry's valuation was a few years ago. Yeah. It, it, they have to sell it's, all the world's cars to justify the thing. valuation. That's another thing that doesn't make sense to me. Like they must, somebody must believe that Tesla is going to have some crazy energy breakthrough or right. battery breakthrough and like or, control other industries. Because even if you assume they're going to be a hundred percent of the auto industry, they're probably still overvalued. And SpaceX is cut off from it, right? Like, yeah, SpaceX is different. So SpaceX is great, by the way. So you, but. and you know, when I've talked to smart people about it, they're like, uh, Tesla's just not making enough shit. Like they haven't diversified. They're not making batteries for homes. They're not making batteries for other car makers. So like, even though their battery, even if you presume their batteries are always going to be the best, it's still the core business is just cars. And how do you justify them being more valuable than every other car company put together? One of the things that's interesting here is that we see this in certain markets, like the prediction markets, um, are a really, really obvious example where Donald Trump was like 15% to become president, even all the way through December. Like just, there were stupid, stupid people there's, who there's don't want to accept reality. There's still some predicted and, stuff you can get. Like, uh, yeah, you can still get Donald Trump to be president at like seven cents or something out of a dollar. Like it's, it's wild. And on a lesser level, if you just have a bunch of people who are essentially Elon Musk fanboys, Tesla fanboys, who just want to buy stock as like a status symbol thing, like that can impact the price, you know? And the the efficient market hypothesis is true in this broad aggregate sense of like over the long run, over like big things, but like in specific instances, it doesn't have to hold true every single time, like every single price. Right, well, especially prediction markets, they have like a cap on them. So do I want to go make 50 bucks off an obvious even the ones that didn't have a cap were still pretty bad like really? it wasn't entirely the cap yeah my best stocks mm. right now smith and wesson vista outdoor and a bunch of weed companies you guys why got vista outdoor i saw that you're doing vista outdoor why guns 
They do gun stuff? Yep. I thought they made um, home lighting equipment. They're involved with guns somehow. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. They also make, they also make um, like outdoor stuff. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Smith and Wesson was like 41% this week. It shot Whether up. Whether you want to light up your backyard or light Just up the outdoor a or like sprinklers, like sprinkler, uh, See, I that kind together. of shit. Yeah. Wired, wireless uh, sprinklers. <laughs> Let's stick a fork in it, guys. I mean, that's a whole other episode. This is wireless sprinklers. Jeremiah, thanks for coming on. That was great. Absolutely, man. 